Good afternoon, friends of Hoopa. <laughs> Last year, 150 years ago, marked the birth of the fort, the trail, and the country that bear that colorful name, Hoopa. It all began in 1869 when the stage was set by the withdrawal of the Hudson Bay Company from their monopoly on Western Canada. For the next 13 years, from 1870 to 1883, until the arrival of the Canadian Pacific Railroad, trade goods, supplies, immigrants, adventures, adventurers came up the mighty Missouri River by steamboat to Fort Benton for transfer to overland freight wagons to follow a trail that assumed legendary fame and notoriety. And the trail was only the beginning. It led directly to the settlement of the prairie provinces of Alberta and Saskatchewan with Fort Benton and Montana businessmen like I.G. Baker and Tom Power helping form today's Canadian cities. Montana ranchers like Charlie Conrad and Hal Harris helped begin the great Canadian cattle industry. Montanan Anna Armstrong even brought the first dairy herd from Montana to Alberta. Mm -hmm. Simply said, hoop up and its aftermath led directly to today's shared history between Montana and the Canadian Prairie Provinces. And I've got to, before I change slides, pay tribute to the great artist, Annie Thompson, who painted this scene called A Hot Time in Fort Benton it's based on an actual incident that occurred when the uh, 1865 treaty was being signed with the Blackfoot at Fort Benton. And they had this harebrained idea of loading a mountain howitzer on the back of a mule and lighting it. And the mule didn't like that. And he started whirling around. And I don't know if you've seen 101 objects, the Montana history that's just come out from the Montana Historical Society, but I swear the all the holes in that uh, bison weather vane that came from the fort at Fort Benton are from that incident. <laughs> from Fort Benton, the Hoop Up Trail crossed, uh, followed the Mullen Road west before heading along the across the Teton River, Captain Nell's Crossing and on to the northwest past the Knees, across the Maras River, past today's Shelby, and on to the west of Three Buttes, today's Sweetgrass Hills, across the unmarked international boundary, and on to the Belly River near today's Lethbridge. Hoop-up country formed along that trail that passed through the broad rolling prairie lands between Fort Benton northward across the medicine line into the newly formed Canadian Northwest Territory at that point. The Northwest, the Hoop Up Trail became the first international highway in the Northwest and Fort Benton became the birthplace of Hoop Up Country. And I'll point out two trails on this map before I leave it. The Hoop Up Trail from Fort Benton on up to the Belly River and on into what today is Alberta. And the Ripplinger Trail that came up from the uh, Sun River from actually the 
today's town of Sun River on up basically through today's Blackfeet Reservation and on into Canada. John J. Healy was on a mission of revenge as he left his Sun River trading post and crossed the medicine line in early January of 1870. Revenge because he and other Fort Benton friends had been badly treated by the Hudson Bay Company some years before. Healy and his partner Al Hamilton were the first Fort Benton free traders to lead an expedition into the new Northwest Territory. This bold undertaking broke the fur robe trading monopoly of the mighty Hudson Bay Company, which for two centuries had been absolutely dominant in Rupert's land from the Great Slave Lake to the present Montana northern boundary line and even across into modern Montana with posts like Fort Cana. Thus began the hoop-up era, a new period in the transcontinental or transnational history of northern Montana and the prairie provinces of Canada, an era that would open up new settlements and only end with the arrival of the railroad. Yet our shared heritage lives on today. Adventurer Johnny Healy with his partner Al Hamilton and 11 wagons departed Healy's trading post at Sun River Crossing in secrecy with mild weather from Chinook winds just after Christmas on December 28, 1869 on their epic journey northward. You may recognize this little white house on the north bank of the Sun River as you just get over that bridge I showed. This is where Healy's trading post was located and this house actually has the logs from Healy's trading post embedded in it. The expedition had 14 men, including Johnny Healy, his brother, partner Al Hamilton, a black teamster, Bob Mills, a Mexican, Spanish, Joe Arana, and two biracial Blackfeet, Jerry Potts and George Starr, as their hunters. Along with them, during the final part of the journey, were members of the Kainai Blood Blackfoot tribe, adding not only protection, but also confirmation that Healy's trading expedition enjoyed the approval of the Kainai, the very important tribe, whose historic territory was their destination. Following that Ripplinger Trail that I had pointed out, the party moved slowly trading along the way, traveling 160 miles over a three-week period before arriving January 17, 1870, at the mouth of the confluence of the St. Mary's River, where it joined the Belly River just south of today's Lethbridge. These were dangerous times, for just a week after this, the Marias Massacre occurred, as you heard from Dan, with the U.S. Army under Major Eugene Baker striking heavy runners encampment Healy's expedition immediately began to cut down trees to begin constructing a trading post. This crude post provided both trading and living quarters for the men, and it was christened Fort Hamilton. 
and the winter trade with the Kainai Blackfoot resident in the area began. While most of the men were engaged in building the trading post, Healy and Hamilton with several Kainai searched for the highly influential Kainai chief Many Spotted Horses at his winter camp near the Belly River. After giving gifts to the chief, Healy received a winter wife thought to be the daughter of the chief. Critically, Healy also received permission to build the trading post among the Kainai. You've heard the dance account of the shocking tragedy at the Pakuni South Pagan Heavy Runners winter camp on the Marias. I'd emphasize again, this happened just a week after Healy Hamilton arrived at the Belly River and began to build their trading post. Recall also that Healy's expedition had met that party of Kainai, about 20 of them, under Buffalo Bull's back fat, a hereditary chief with a powerful standing. These Kainai appreciated the food they'd received and urged Healy and Hamilton to build the post. Before the stockade was finished, hundreds of Pakuni South Pigan, under the leadership of Cut Hand, approached. They were bent on revenge for the recent massacre and planned to kill the Euro-American traders after trading with them. A warning to Healy and his men came from the Kainai. Cut Hand is here. He will trade only for powder and ball. And when he gets enough, he will kill you white men. Healy's men retreated to the partially completed trading post and prepared for the worst. Kainai chief Buffalo Bull, Bull's back fat arrived on scene and declared, friends, you know the white soldiers a short time ago cleaned out the Pagan camp over on the Marias. There were no warriors in the camp for it was a sick camp and the able-bodied men were out hunting for meat for their wives, children, and old people. The white soldiers came in the night and slaughtered the sick old men and women, the mothers and the babies, as they slept, or hunted them down in the slow snow and killed them. The hearts of all the Blackfeet, the Pagans and the Bloods, are filled with bitterness against the whites for this. Cut Hand and his Pagan are here, have come here to kill you. But you men have been kind to us and you are our traitors. We bloods were hungry when you fed us and we are grateful. Now 500 of my warriors have joined our party. The Pagan have come to kill us, will have to kill us before they kill you. They outnumber us greatly, but they are our cousins and I don't believe they will force a fight. If they do, we will die fighting with you white men. Open the door and look. With this, the Kainai took defensive positions around the stockade. Hamilton opened the door of the trading post and saw the fort completely surrounded by the Kainai warriors. Buffalo Bull's back fat kept the peace and the traders and Fort Hamilton were saved. Fort 
Hamilton crude beginning that it was was underway and that first trading winter proved a huge financial success. Of course they were trading almost entirely in bison robes. After the trading season Fort Hamilton was burned after that first winter and and the photo that I'm showing shows a more elaborate post that was built later that fall by um, by carpenter William Gladstone who happens to be a, a direct ancestor of the Blackfeet Balladeer Jack Gladstone and the name soon changed to Fort Hoopa. There are many tales about where that name came from, how Fort Hamilton became Hoopa. But my favorite involved a colorful, larger-than-life trader, Charles Choquette, who freighted from Fort Benton to Fort Hamilton. Choquette didn't know much English. He was a good Frenchman who had freighted from Fort Benton to, he didn't know much English, and whenever he learned a new word, he had a habit of repeating it over and over. There was an 80-mile barren stretch between Fort Benton and Fort Hamilton, and with the dread to the outfits that made the trip, one night Choquette was drawing near to the fort his outfit tired and lagging, and the men were complaining, including Charlie. Finally, one bullwalker said, let's hoop up and get to the fort. This struck Charlie as a good phrase, and he kept repeating it over and over. As the train neared the, neared the fort, he yelled, hoop up, and the fort became Fort Hoop Up, a fixture. Through the bold actions of Healy and Hamilton, Fort Benton free traders had pried open the door, the door to the former Rupert's land. Into this vacuum poured hundreds of Montana freighters and traders, opening more than 40 trading posts north of the medicine line, posts bearing striking names like Hoop Up, Slide Out, Standoff, and we could spend the afternoon talking about those forts and I do in my book. This is a list compiled by Canadian archaeologists uh, Margaret Kennedy and Reeves and in their remarkable inventory of whiskey forts uh, they put together the best both historical and archaeological information that they could get. Many of these 40 were clustered along the Canadian rivers like the belly and the old man. The times were often as brutally harsh as the Montana and Canadian weather, yet both Montanans and Canadians have tended to exaggerate for dramatic effect the traders and the whiskey posts, the hooping it up environment. After all, neither re in reconstructed Fort Hoop Up near Lethbridge nor in reconstructed old Fort Benton trading post, would it be quite as exciting for the tourists unless there was a, a, a little emphasis on the whiskey and the, and the lively times. 
and especially Canadian historians have been extremely hard on the uh, Montana traders, uh, judging them almost by separate standards than they did the uh, handful of Canadians that were also involved in the trade. Similarly, like most of the writing has come from Canadians, and they tended to emphasize the extreme native and white conflict from minor skirmishes to major battles as the cultures clashed. Yet the continuing conflicts of historic enemies such as Blackfeet Cree and Blackfeet Assiniboine are largely ignored by those historians, and yet there were still significant battles taking place with both the Cree and the Assiniboine mortal enemies of the Blackfoot. A few notes I emphasize in my book, and I don't think I, I really need to today, but many of my stories are in the terms of the times, and I've not changed words like squaw and so on that we do not use today. Uh, I believe you don't erase history, you learn from it, and you learn good lessons like we've been learning in the past few years. The riches to be made in the absence of law and order drew a wide mix of humanity, saints and sinners, leading to incidents and conflicts culminating in a battle in the Cypress Hills between Fort Benton Wolfers and North Assiniboine, Nakota, the so-called Cypress Hills Massacre. Responding to complaints from both sides of the border, the Canadian government in 1873 belatedly formed the Northwest Mounted Police, today's Royal Canadian Mounted Police, and sent them west in the summer of 1874 to establish law and order, close down the trading posts, and coerce the free traders from Montana across the border into their out of Canada. The result was lively and surprising. You read about the saga of the Great March West as the newly formed Northwest Mounted Police marched <clears throat> overland westward over unmarked and rugged terrain. In fact, the so-called Great March almost became the great disaster before the Mounted Police were rescued by Fort Benton traders. The highest priorities for the Mounted Police on their arrival in Northwest Territory as they brought law and order were to conquer Fort Hoopup. They brought artists, unlike Lewis and Clark, they were very careful, they brought two very skilled artists and there were a steady flow of, of great art in the uh, Canadian journals uh, as the march progressed west. And that march was so terrible, so bad, they had the wrong horses, they had show horses instead of workhorses. They were trying to, to bring uh, many cannon because they thought Fort Hoopwap was heavily defended. They, they had a, an arrogant uh, commander who, who uh, left the expedition before they got very far, and about a quarter of their men deserted along the way. So the, the, the Great March was over extremely rough terrain. And the bottom line was until the railroad was built, no one went overland. They all went by steamboat into Fort Benton and then up the Hoop Up Trail. Fort Hoop Up 
was their objective and to shut it down, suppress the whiskey trade and impose justice for the Cypress Hills Massacre. Arriving at Fort Hoopup, the Mounted Police expected to face hundreds of heavily armed Montanans in a fierce fight before they seized that whiskey fort's liquor supply. In fact, they arrived, they found the gate open, just six men there, one of them, legless Charles Shaft, who invited the police to join them for a fine dinner. Of course, the booze had been carefully hidden well before their arrival. And while their arrival in actions through the winter of 1874-75 made, significant, made significant progress in most of their objectives, the problem of the Cypress Hills Massacre remained. As they gathered intelligence and identified the participants, they discovered the mo that most of those involved were no longer in the territory. They were back in Montana. By the spring of 1875, the Mounted Police had formed an action plan to seek extradition from Montana for the majority of the suspects and to arrest the handful that were left in Canada. And <clears throat> knee deep in all this was a future pretty famous Montanan, James T. Stanford. He was a fascinating participant in, in what was called the expedition trial in Helena. He had come west as a mounted policeman, been discharged later, married into the Conrad family, and became very prominent around Kalispell and around Montana, actually becoming a brigadier general in the Montana National Guard. The extradition trial, about a dozen of the Montanans that had been involved in the Cypress Hills battle uh, was, uh, they, they were brought on into extradition proceedings in Helena under Commissioner Cullen. And about the same time, three others were arrested in Canada and tried in Winnipeg, charged with murder. The extradition proceedings in Helena failed and the prisoners were released. The main problem was that they could only get one witness who would testify against them, and he had a very low level of credibility to begin with. The three tried at Winnipeg were subsequently acquitted because of the fact that the fellows in Montana had been released and were not returned for trial to Canada. The five men tried in Helena actually included a couple of notable characters, Johnny Evans from Fort Benton and Trevian Hale, um, who later went on to uh, major activities around Yellowstone Park and other places in Montana. And there was one scoundrel, Tom Hardwick. He, he definitely was a scoundrel. The extradition trial ended. The prisoners were freed from the threat of extradition to Canada. Helena residents led by Wilbur Fist Sanders turned out in force that night to celebrate the freedom of those five proclaimed Kit Carsons as they prepared to return to Fort Benton. Proceeding on to, to Benton, the heroes were greeted in triumph by their hometown. The Benton record reported the big celebration included a mass meeting at Mose Solomon's 
saloon, which had a big hall featuring a drawing of the British lion in full flight with an American eagle biting its tail, a rip-roaring speech by Finian Irishman General John J. Donnelly, filled with indignation and triumph, and a celebratory ball until the wee hours of the morning. It was worth noting that General Donnelly, uh, who had been uh, a colonel in the uh, Civil War, actually been a breveted brigadier general in the Civil War, quite a hero in the war, one of the many Irishmen that fought for the Union, and uh, after the war became very active in, active in the Irish Finian campaign, including uh, one of the major invasions of Canada, uh, was uh, Donnelly had participated in. We haven't time for Donnelly's fiery speech as he condemned the British government as he, only an Irishman could and welcomed the Expedition Five home, but very shortly after, Johnny Healy bought and opened a saloon he called the Expedition Saloon. Over the decades that followed, memories of the wild and woolly hoop-up era flowed forth in pioneer reminiscences and historical articles on both sides of the border. The nasty low-life whiskey traders emerged in reality as exceptional frontiersmen like Hal Harris, Charlie Conrad, Donald W. Davis, leading players in settling the Canadian West. For every scoundrel, there were dozens of men of talent and ability, but there was a scoundrel, Tom Hardwick, um, and yet there were seven future sheriffs of, of Shoto County among those traitors. Yet over time, the stories of, hoop, of the hoop-up trail in its era faded in the public mind. Memories of the trail, this great international avenue of trade and commerce with its shared lifeline and culture from our past, flickers brightly at times on both sides of the medicine line as it did in this 1935 Lethbridge Herald. Small towns along the trail raise awareness on occasion by promoting stories of events and Conrad High School exchanged letters with Charlie Russell about the Hoop Up Trail and brought out its high school yearbook in 1921 named Hoop Up Trail. And of course, Conrad still 80 years later celebrates its summer celebration It's called Hoop Up Trail Days. Both Lethbridge and Fort Benton have held joint celebrations for dedication of trail markers or hoop-up historical pageants. While the memories have faded, the shared bonds remain to this day. Bonds with Canada and memories of the hoop-up trail rose during August 17 years ago when I joined 14 other members of the Fort Benton River and Plains Society as we traveled north not along the hoop-up trail exactly, but along today's modern highways across a now well-defined and marked medicine line to the Lethbridge area to visit and tour reconstructed Fort Hoop-up. The Fort Benton group symbolically representing free traders and led by Executive Director John J. J. Healy, I mean uh, John, John G. Lepley, 
was hosted at a breakfast and given a special tour by Fort Hoopup director Dorn David Dagen, Dagenstein and historian Gord Tolton. More events followed at Fort McLeod, including the dedication of a new mounted police barracks and the famed mounted police musical ride. I took this photo on the trip showing Jack Lepley and Bob Dirk admiring the Fort Benton cannon that Healy had taken up to Fort Hoopup in 1870. Last year on the 150th anniversary of, of the trail and, and the formation of Hoopup country, our Overholzer Historical Research Center presented a displayed tribute to Fort Hoopup at the entrance to the Montana State Agricultural Museum and Fort Benton had planned the summer celebration around Hoopa, but then COVID struck canceling summer celebrations and even closing the medicine line so we didn't have Canadian visitors joining us either last summer or even this summer. We're still waiting for that heavy two-way flow of visitors across the medicine line, bringing about one-third of the visitors and trade from Canada to towns like Fort Benton and Great Falls. It's, it's an amazing, something the rest of Montana just doesn't see and appreciate. This year, Fort Benton is celebrating our 175th anniversary, and as our summer celebration events resumed, again without Canadian visitors, one month ago on the 24th of August, we were once more reminded of our shared history. This on the occasion of the visit of over two dozen leaders, elders and chiefs from the Blackfeet Confederacy. It's important to note that three of the four Blackfoot nations that compose that confederacy reside north of the medicine line in Alberta. Yet they came on this 175th anniversary to, uh, to Fort Benton to pay tribute to to the town the Blackfeet call many homes to the south. Among the many tributes, Kainai Chief Roy Fox and others spoke eloquently with stories from the shared past. So here's to the colorful Johnny Healy who started the whole thing and to our shared history with our indigenous neighbors and the Canadian Prairie Provinces and to hoop up country as we hoop it up at 151 years. Thank you.